Good morning and welcome back to the second segment of What Must I Do to Be Saved? So now we're going to jump into part two and without further ado, let's get started. Uh, our next question is going to be for Brother Parker. <clears throat> According to the scriptures, would you elaborate on um, each step of the south, each step of the salvation, and where each step can be found in the Bible? And we have designated for you the first two. So hear and believe. Sure, sure. So, uh, so uh, Romans ten seventeen says, "So then faith cometh by by hearing, uh, and of course hearing uh, by the word of God." And so it's important that uh, people hear, hear the message of salvation. As a, as a matter of fact, Paul writes in that same um, scripture, he says, how shall they hear without a, a preacher? So it's important for, for us as men of God, and not, not just preachers, but Christians, period, you know, it, to, to carry this message of salvation uh, to everybody. And so uh, people have to hear the message of salvation. Also, Acts 15, 7. Uh, says that after there had been much disputing, Peter, Peter rose up and said unto them, men and brethren, you know how a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth shall first hear the word and believe. Of course, in Hebrews eleven six, it talks about that belief as well. Um, it talks about, first, verse 1 says the definition of faith, now that faith, um, so then faith is the substance of things heard of, the, um, the evidence of things not seen. And then it says in verse six that uh, without faith is impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And also we see an example of people hearing um, and believing in the Bible. In Ephesians chapter one, uh, verse number 13, I think it is Ephesians chapter one. Um, it talks about that. And so in Ephesians one, oh, I have my Bible in front of me here. Yeah, verse 13, it says, In whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and whom also having believed, you are still with the Holy Spirit of promise. And, and I know that today, you know, we have people who, um, you know, even in our own fellowship who, who question the origin, uh, you know, of, of, of this uh, plan of salvation, you know, but I, I always think it's important just to go back to the Bible, and and whenever I preach, and and, and of course you you heard me, Genevia, and and at the end of my sermons, I put up on the screen for everybody to see. Look, here are the scriptures. Like, don't take my word for it. Here are the scriptures. Here what here's what the Bible has to say uh, about the pathway um, toward salvation. And one of the things that's so amazing to me, just listening to all of these um, esteemed men of God. Uh, talk about their stories about how they came to Christ. Notice that each one of us have, uh, each one has a different story. However, when it comes to salvation, we all were saved the very same way. And so when it comes to hearing and believing, we have to follow the New Testament pattern. And it's very clear that we must hear and believe. Uh, and that's how faith, that's how our faith is, 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 um, is instituted and developed is in hearing the word of God and believing it. Amen. Thank you so much for that, Brother Parker. Yes. And so the next is uh, to repent and confess, and that goes to Brother Sahili. So, All right. So again, I, I really appreciate this this opportunity. I I, I do remember, uh, and I think it was Brother Duncan who I forgot the exact phraseology of it, but something about the the hole in the heart. And I, I, I do remember being 21 years of age 
And, and I called my mother. I was living on my own, uh, working and going to college. And I said, Mom, I, I, I feel like I just have this, this, this hole in, 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 my, in my stomach. So she said, Amar, that's, that's, that's God trying to get your attention. I said, um, all right, that's not what I called for. I didn't want to hear that. <laughs> um, but in actuality, that's what was happening. And so I had made up in my mind that, you know what, to fill this void in my life, I decided that maybe I was going to start taking karate because karate was about balance. I was going to get an extra job and save up money and, and get a 71 El Camino and paint it with rally rams and a phantom top, right? I had made up in my mind all of these yeah. things that I was going <laughs> to do to fill that void in my heart and in my soul. Yeah. And my mother was telling me that, no, this is God. That's God talking to you. Amen. So eventually, the Holy Spirit overpowered me. The reason why, for, for me, repentance is so important is I feel that it is oftentimes the deep forgotten element of the salvation process. Baptist, repentance happens or is supposed to happen before we get in the water. So it's the essence of, of that Greek word metanoia, which means to uh, engage in retrospection, to reconsider, to make a change, right? We, we, we come to Jesus based upon Ephesians 2, 8, 9. That we, we're, we're coming to Jesus. Uh, we're saved by, by grace through faith. When we have Paul there in, in, in Acts chapter 20 talking to the elders in, in Ephesus, he's helping them understand that they came to Christ by, by faith and repentance, right? So we understand the essence of baptism. One of the things that, that I feel we've done is we've made baptism so big, we've forgotten about repentance. So, But repentance is that aspect of life where I realize who I am. That's why it was so important that John the Baptist paved the way for Jesus with the baptism of repentance, saying, no, you need to change. You, you need to change your mind. You need to change your lifestyle. There are some things that you need to excommunicate out of your life, and then you will be ready to meet Jesus. It's the same thing for us today under a salvation paradigm where when we understand who Jesus is, God is calling us to repent. So when I, when I had my experience of, of, of coming to faith and being converted, before I was baptized on January the 10th of whatever year that was, right, when I was 21 years of age, before I made it to the church building on that Sunday, I had already repented. There were things that I was doing in my life that were ungodly. I stopped doing those things. And then I was immersed into the body of Christ by way of baptism. Sometimes we don't emphasize enough the critical importance. You can ask people, well, when, people can tell you when, when they were baptized. They can't tell you oftentimes when they repented. They can't tell you when they changed because sometimes the way we, we teach salvation is it's get in the water and then change later. Now we're going to be changing throughout the history, throughout the reality of our Christian walk. But as we make our way to Jesus, 
there's supposed to be some evidence of things that were going on in our lives that because of Jesus and the fact that we have now believed, there's some things we no longer do because of Jesus. And that's what ushered us to the, 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 the brinks and the bank of, of baptism. So I think it's just so critically important that, that we emphasize the, the necessity of repentance, which is about radical change. Whatever those ungodly things are in, in, in that person's life that we're sharing the gospel with, there has, there's supposed to be evidence that they put those things down and made their way to Jesus. And then, of course, the confession piece is actually the profession piece, meaning that I am willing to, to announce and publicize that I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And I'll leave it there. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that. Thank you. So next we have Brother Stewart, and he's going to be talking about baptism. Brother Stewart. Thank you, sister. Um, in uh, connecting the very profound comments of, uh, of our brother previously, as we go through the stages of the plan of salvation, uh, baptism marks the both the, the public but also the spiritual change that has come through the process of what we've, what we've been discussing in hearing and believing and repenting and in confessing, we come to that moment where we encounter the totality of uh, God's work through both uh, the Heavenly Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, and the, uh, the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, baptism is both uh, a command, an ordinance, as well as a public profession of faith. And they all work together in this process of salvation to bring us from one aspect of our relationship with God to a new aspect. Uh, we, as Paul preaches to the Ephesians in the second chapter of that great book, we were dead in our trespasses and our transgressions, but because of the work of Christ so that we might receive the gift of salvation, we become alive as we come through the, the, uh, uh, the stages of, of the plan of salvation and the, the, the rebirth, if we will, the, the life that comes is, is exemplified by what happens in baptism. Um, Jesus speaks uh, to Nicodemus in the uh, third chapter of the Gospel of John. In the uh, fifth verse, he says, uh, uh, I'll, I'll be reading here from the Revised Standard, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And this shows that baptism is an essential aspect, an essential command of God for us to enter into the kingdom after we've gone through that process, which has been described by, by our brothers previously. We come now to the moment where we must be born again. The life that we lived is no longer the life we live towards God. We become a new creature in Christ through the work of baptism. 
It is a command. It is an ordinance. We'll recall, of course, uh, that Jesus himself subjected himself to the ordinance of baptism. Uh, even though he was not in need of the baptism of John, he didn't need to repent. But since baptism was God's, a part of God's plan, he himself was baptized in water to show himself approved. And of course, we recall that the Holy Spirit descended upon him uh, in, the, uh, in the image and form like a dove. And that is still the process of how God works in the, uh, in the stages, if you will, of the salvation plan. As we hear, believe, repent, confess, and are baptized, as we enter into that stage where we become a new creature in Christ, the Holy Spirit of God comes to walk and indwell with us. We don't see the... Uh, uh, the, the descent, like the people did in the in the times when Jesus came out of the uh, the Jordan River, um, but the same process happens. God's Holy Spirit comes to walk and indwell the believer, and He begins to walk with with us as we enter into the new life. And the new life again has a, of course, spiritual aspect. It has a public aspect, and in both, we are acknowledged now as not being who we were before, but now we are in Christ. We now have a different and renewed spirit due to the work of God, and we also understand that uh, it saves us it marks us for sanctification. Baptism puts us in that category of now being gods and not being under the rule and influence of the devil. And as, uh, as uh, Peter uh, says in the epistle of First Peter, First Peter 3 and 21, now even baptism saves you, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the announcement of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he compares baptism to the device of the ark that saved Noah and his family from the flood of the ancient world. That ark was the instrument how God showed that he was saving Noah and his family. And baptism is the instrument that shows God saves us from sin and death and the power of the devil and brings us into the new life and to the promise of the uh, heavenly reward. And so uh, all of uh, what our brothers have spoken about brings us to this moment. And then baptism is the way God brings us again over into the new life. Amen. Thank you, Brother Sir, for that. Thank you, Brother Sir, for that. So, over to you, sis, for Brother Duncan. That's to you. Sure. Oh, is it? Oh, is it? <laughs> That's your question. <laughs> what? Right. Here we go. 
what happens after baptism? Uh, we're speaking the aspect of growth, Brother Duncan. Sure. Well, you know, when, when someone comes to me or I have the opportunity to talk to someone that I'm not going to be able to study with, I always tell them, read the book of Luke and read the book of Acts. Luke wrote both of them. He wrote them to the same person, Theophilus. And the book of Luke gives the life of Jesus. And the book of Acts starts off right where Luke finished and gives what the early church looked like. And it's easy then, in my opinion, easier to see what is it that we're supposed to look like mm -hmm. and when we know Jesus. And back there in the book of Luke tells us, in Luke 9, 23, tells us about a lot about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus when Jesus said, uh, unless you carry your cross daily, you can't be my disciple. And so this is not just I carry my cross on Sundays. It's not just I carry my cross when grandma comes to town or I carry my cross uh, weekdays, but not on weekends. No, it's daily. And so that's part of what it means to be a Christian. Now, over in Acts 2 that we talked a lot about and, and that uh, Brother Sahili talked about repentance and in Acts 2 talks about repent and be baptized, that important thing that happens there on the first day of what we call the church age whenever the Holy Spirit came and inspired Peter to preach this sermon that, that convinced the crowd that, they, that Jesus, first of all, was the Messiah and that they had killed him and that now they have blood on their hands for what they have done and they stopped the sermon. They don't wait for that old line, come as we stand and sing. I mean, they stop the sermon and they say, what must we do to be saved? And Peter says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, a lot of us, unfortunately, stop right there. When I was a, when I was a kid, I remember we had a family that my parents were studying with and we'd go over to their house every Friday night, and we'd have a Bible study with them, and this family came to church every single Sunday. And um, finally, one Friday night, they were baptized. We were all excited. I still remember the man's name. It was unusual. It was Pat Pat. It was a double name. And and Pat Pat and his wife was were baptized, and we were excited, and my dad was going to announce it on Sunday morning, and they weren't there. And we thought, oh, no, they must they must be sick. And so we called and went over that Sunday afternoon and said, you know, we missed you this morning. And they said, well, we were already baptized. We said, well, we know you were baptized Friday night. And they said, well, we're not going to go to church anymore now that we've been baptized. We finished it. Well, that, that is not the finishing point. That's the beginning point. Kind of like Brother Stewart read that passage from John chapter 3. It is a birth. It is a birth and a death that is happening. That life starts. And then so in Acts 2, after that, that uh, Peter told them to repent and be baptized, obviously they believe in Jesus at that point, or he wouldn't have told them to do that. Uh, the Bible says in verses 42 and on, kind of what the very basic elements of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. He says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. For that is, they devoted themselves to the teachings of the Bible, of the, particularly the New Testament to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, that breaking of bread may be the Lord's Supper there. It may not be. What we know for sure is the Lord's Supper comes about later in 1 Corinthians and in other places. So no doubt it was to the Lord's Supper later. 
but when you are come into Christ, part of coming into Christ is coming into a community with other people. It is saying that we are part of this group now. I love that word communion when we call the Lord's Supper communion, because, and it's what our nation needs a whole lot of these days, but particularly even the church, communion means a common union. And so when I come into Christ, I have this common union with these fellow believers of whatever race or language or background. We believe in Jesus. That is our, our union. And so it says all the believers were together and they had everything in common. It doesn't necessarily mean that they all lived in a commune, but whenever it was time to help, they helped. If someone was in need, they gave, whatever, whatever it was. In, uh, and kind of continuing on with this idea in Acts, just for a moment, we get over to Acts 4, and um, Peter and John are back in the Sanhedrin, and the apostles Peter and John, and they were flogged for their teaching and told not to teach. But Peter and John say, we cannot help but speak about what we have seen and heard. Well, I have not seen Jesus in the flesh, but I have seen enough things in the name of Jesus that I can't, I can't help but speak about what I have seen and heard and what I have read about Jesus. And so part of being a disciple is saying, I am going to stand up and speak for Jesus. I'm going to practice the two great commandments to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind with, with my whole being. And I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. And so when I put those into practice, it means that I'm sharing what I have with fellow believers but even goes beyond that. There's so much more to, more to it. But over in uh, the book of James, which James, half-brother of Jesus, the physical brother of Jesus, um, in James 1, he says that pure and, and undefiled religion is helping widows and orphans, which it doesn't have to literally be someone who doesn't have a husband or someone who doesn't have parents. He's saying, you, as a Christian, as a disciple of Jesus, your heart now is for helping people who can't help themselves. Mm -hmm. It's for helping people who, ne who can't necessarily pay you back. You're not saying, hey, I'm going to give you a dollar so that you'll give me a dollar fifty later. It's just saying, I don't need the dollar. It's for you. It's to help you. And so when we come into Christ, it is about worship and following the apostles' teaching, and, and obviously devoting ourselves to a community of believers, but it's also the way we live and the way we help people and care for people. We of all people ought to be the people to shine in this dark world because we have this light that God has given us. He said, I want you to live in a community that is better than every other community. And I also don't want you to keep this community to yourself. I want you to be that city set up on a hill that everyone can see and everyone is attracted to it, that they also want to be a part of that community. So there's this great joy of becoming a disciple of Christ, being repenting and, and putting our faith and believing in Jesus and then coming into Jesus to be baptized and then living for Jesus. It's an incredible community, but it's the part that a lot of people miss. So it's important that we that we be the people that share it and live it and show it. Amen. Thank you, Brother Duncan. That I believe this is our the the sixth step. You know what happens after you get baptized. And I, I appreciate you giving us that 
um, that example of the family and, you know, um, everything thereafter was very well put. We appreciate Absolutely. that. <clears throat> so my next question is going to go to Brother Stewart. Uh, Brother Stewart, can you get into the kingdom of heaven without following these five steps? Uh, the answer is no. Uh, and it's no for some very specific reasons. I, I want to allude back to something uh, uh, Brother Parker said, was that uh, everyone here has a different testimony about how they came to faith, but the faith that they were delivered to was the same. And the reason why the path is narrow uh, so to speak, is because they're in that narrowness, if we want to use that term, there is salvation and safety. We are given this pattern, this plan, because to be frank, that's what God has decreed to be the way to enter into the kingdom. To not follow it puts us outside of the way that God has, or has ordained, has laid down, and it puts us in danger of missing the things that do save us. The reason why in the times of the church's beginning in the first century that you don't hear the apostles and the other inspired writers speak about anyone entering in the kingdom except through the pattern that had been laid down, especially as they discussed the idea of baptism, is because to be baptized was to be saved. To be saved was to be baptized and having followed the pattern of salvation. The idea that there was another way to be saved in the name of Jesus simply was not was not true, of course, but was would have been an idea that someone like... Uh, the Apostle Paul would have said is ludicrous. <laughs> and you can't possibly call yourself a follower of Jesus and you have not followed what he laid down in terms of how to be saved. And our danger today is that people speak about not just many pathways to God, uh, not just many religions, but even within what we would call the uh <laughs> The, the faith of Christ, the, 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 the religious beliefs about the uh, church and Christianity as a whole, even that whole idea of Christianity, uh, one of the dangers that we have is that people say not only is there, there are many roads to God, they also say there are many roads to approach him and to be saved. That's clearly not true. We can draw a connection to the world of mathematics there can be many paths to the right answer, but there's only one right answer. You can't get to two and two is four except to get to the right answer. <laughs> you can get to two and two in different ways. You can get to four in different ways, but the, the answer is the correct one at the end of the day, and you can't change the answer to the problem. You can get to the answer many ways, but you can only get to one answer. And that's what the scripture is pointing us to. And uh, again, um, we at Mountain View are going through a study of the Gospel of Mark. We're in Mark 13th chapter. 
Mark the 13th chapter, of course, parallels Matthew the 24th chapter. And in that, Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And the things that he has ordained, the things he has put forward, again, those things have not changed. And to get into the kingdom of heaven, hearing, believing, repenting, confessing, and being baptized, and then walking in newness of life, as, as Brother Duncan has, has elaborated on, those are the ways. That's how you do it. That's how you're going to get to the eternal life of God. There's no other way to do it. Amen. Thank you for that. Thank you very much, Brother Stewart. That concludes our second segment of What Must I Do to Be Saved. Tune in to tomorrow, our very last day of, of, of our segment, our interviews with our ministers. They will finish out the interview and they will also let you know where they can be found and how you can get in contact with them. So please tune in back with us, 9 a.m. Central Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time. And please don't forget to visit our website and our social media. Our website is www.letsoaptalk.org. Can't wait to see you tomorrow. Have a great rest of your day. Bye.